Hello there, welcome to another bonus Rahalastapa. Rahalastapa this time with Dan Schreiber from No Such Thing as a Fish and No Such Thing as the News. Uh, a rival podcaster to me. It's amazing that I've given him time and allowed him to be on my show. He hasn't done the same to me. Oh, he did. He let me on Museum of Curiosity. Sorry. Ignore what I'm saying. I'm just insane. If you enjoy these, then why not come and see one live? If you can, uh, we're recording them every Monday in October and November. Uh, We've got some fantastic guests lined up. We have uh, on the 10th of October... Dane Baptiste on the 17th of October, Chris Addison on the 28th of November, David Bedil, and lots of other names coming in all the time. It's worth taking a punt, I would say. Go to leicestersquaretheatre.com and you can book tickets for that. I'm also on tour with my show, The Best. If you go to richtering.com, you can see all the dates for that. Um, and uh, that would be lovely if you would come along, because that's how I make a living. <laughs> um, so... Um, Hope you enjoyed these uh, extra podcasts, and uh, we'll be back with Series 10 uh, next week with Armando Iannucci, the first one, which isn't too bad, is it? All right, see you in a bit. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has just appeared on Pointless Celebrities for the third time. It's Richard Herring! I don't know what to do with my hands. This is amazing. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, except at King's Place. Uh, I was down um, in the toilets with uh, Zamo uh, the other day. We were drinking some heroines. It's a new thing. Uh, he called this Rahalastapa Ikapa. Ikapa, Ikapa. Except at King's Place. Uh, good, yes, yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> I've had a very busy week. Uh, this is a little bonus extra podcast for you people at home. We're uh, part of the podcast festival uh, at the King's Place, the most uh, left-wing. I mean, you're all excited about old Jeremy Corbyn, aren't you, getting in and not being able to become Prime Minister, you fucking idiots. Uh, so, uh, well done, Guardian. You're amazing. Uh, so, um, I'm, no, I'm not going to talk about politics. Terrible, isn't it? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've been on... Let's talk about Pointless. I've been on Celebrity Pointless. I've, as you'll know, I don't talk about it much, but I've... Um, I've been on twice before. I got knocked out in the first round. It's never my fault. I got knocked out in the first round because Rona Cameron said something stupid. And then I, I, got right to, I got in the second round the second time and then Robert Webb messed up. This time I was going on with my wife. And that, that is... They rang me up the day before because I, I assume, you know, they thought, well, we definitely want Richard Herring. We can leave it to the last minute. Yeah. It's bad enough being on Pointless Celebrities, but being a... A last-minute replacement on Pointless Celebrities. That moves you down from the Z list. There's another list of, oh, we're, when we're desperate. So, because it was a family thing, I had to go on my wife. And Katie, my wife, hates uh, quizzes, hates Pointless, hates me being obsessed with quizzes. <laughs> Has to deal with me being upset when I lose with someone else. So if she, you know, the, our marriage was at stake, really, with this. Uh, this I can't tell you what happened, but um, it's very, it was a very exciting show. But, you know, if you go on Pointless three times... And don't win. That's quite bad, isn't it? That's, I, think, I think four times the law of averages say you have to win. There's only four teams. You have to win. We were on, again, we were on with the Osmonds. They were two of the Osmonds. Uh, Meryl and Jay Osmond we were on with. <laughs> Who were amazing. Like one of them was... Were each, they were, I'll tell you this much. They got through two rounds. And one of them um, was... Both times, one of them did a ridiculous question the first time. And like, oh, good, that's all right. That means... 
and then the other one came with a brilliant answer. So they, and they, then they swatched for the second round. So uh, they're, a, they're a force to watch out for, the Osmonds. Uh, been in, they've been in showbiz in 60 years, and neither of them are 60 years old, as far as I could see. So that's that's quite, They must have been sperm, singing sperm. Uh, and uh, Dan, the clapperboard man, is in the front row, if you're interested. It never, never quite worked out whether he'd given me the clapperboard or not. Uh, so um, that's for fans of the show. Uh, and uh, more quiz-based news, of course, is that CJ from uh, Eggheads... <laughs> CJ Demoy, which I thought was his real name, because why would you make that up? Uh, but it's, Demoy, it means... Uh, hand, it's Dutch for handsome, which is... I mean, he's not... Well, now all this has come out, there's all these sort of... Um, American psycho sort of selfies of him coming out with him with his top off. You've seen this, Andy, right? He's quite a leathery, unpleasant man. Yeah. If I would look like that, I mean, I look like this, and I would not take my top off and take a selfie, but it looks like his nipples are kind of from a different... I mean, it might be. It might be like a, a suit that he's made out of his victims. Uh, you know, it's all... <laughs> As I've discussed before, he did, he, he, in his autobiography, I mean, the most embarrassing thing about A, the most embarrassing thing is that he, I didn't know that his real name is Joseph Connor. Don't know why you changed that. Uh, and I didn't know that. That's the most interesting thing to me, that he changed his name. Uh, but he wrote an autobiography in which he said that he got, uh, a guy tried to mug him and he was in a bad mood and he pushed him in the canal and doesn't know if he survived or not. <laughs> the embarrassing thing is that book's been out for about two years. <laughs> And it's taken the police this long to kind of question him about this imaginary murder that he has. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's, I think he's after, you know, he's, he, he likes attention. I saw him at a service station once just kind of swanning around trying to get everyone's attention. So I think he's just thought, if I say I've killed someone, but if it's an imaginary murder, what happens? You know, do you have to go, can, do you have to, go to an imaginary prison? Where do you, if someone's killing imaginary people, where do you put them? Because nowhere is safe, is it? That's the. You know, <laughs> He can put him in prison, but he can still carry on murdering in his mind. <laughs> but I hope, you know, I hope, I hope he turns out to be a serial killer in reality. It would be awesome. It'd be awesome. I mean, he'd get more pantomime work being the villain, wouldn't it? It'd, be, it'd give a little bit of edge. So I don't, I don't think Richard Osman has ever murdered anyone, but who knows? something awful then I could have said but I, I didn't say that because we're in the Guardian it's a nice thing anyway look we're going to crack on um, just checking I've got all my stuff yes uh, we are the, with our, my guest today is uh, from the podcasting world so you'll be excited here the pod, the, all these people in this audience love podcasts that's what they've come for he is best known as the executive producer of A Kitten for Hitler <laughs> which I'm very interested to talk to ladies and gentlemen Dan Schreiber ladies and gentlemen it's Dan Schreiber here we come come in Hey. Hey. Thanks. A kitten for Hitler. Yeah. Oh, man. That is... Actually, I had a quick look at what it was. I haven't seen it, but that is quite an exciting project to be involved in as a kid. Yeah. So this was years ago. I I was working uh, for an online comedy site called Comedy Box, Mm. and... I was meeting a lot of comedians who wanted to make short videos that would go online, and I got a message one day from a writer who said, I work with Ken Russell, the director, and he's got this idea that he's been trying to make for 10 years, and everyone has said, no way. And I said, <laughs> oh, cool, well, tell him to pitch it. And he came in, and he said, I have this idea, a kid in for Hitler. Yeah. And I thought, oh, no, okay. Um, 
because I was so excited. This guy's a legend, and, and this was the one project that he'd been dying to make for ages. And I thought he's getting near the end. This is this might be the last thing, and he's I can't I can't put myself through the idea of thinking that I said no to it as well. Yeah. So I said, all right, we'll give you some money to do it, and he made it. And I, I have to say, I kind of agreed to doing it so that I could. It was basically ten thousand pounds only, but the ten thousand pounds was so that I could just hang around Ken Russell. It was <laughs> yeah. basically just an excuse to hang around him. Yeah. And why not? Uh, did, did you ever watch any of his movies? Um, I have seen some of them, but I wasn't like a massive fan. So he did Women in Love and that sort of thing. Did he did he? Tommy. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I've seen that. He did The Devils. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that. Band for ages. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that either. No. Um, oh, it was man. It was such an awkward project. The whole thing <laughs> was just get, we we had to at Warner Music as well, which is in Kensington, audition Hitler's and. <laughs> And because they were all, they all thought we're doing this for the great Ken Russell, we're going to come dressed up. So no one kind of casually arrived just going and reading for the part of Hitler. Like, you knew they were reading for the part of Hitler. <laughs> Swastikas everywhere in Kensington that day. And uh, so we just sat in a room and everyone did all the... They attempted to do German accent, which surprisingly no one managed to do. <laughs> You'd think that's the one that's like first base. That's go for that accent. Well, they go, and I've got the moustache. That's it. That's enough. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and Ken was like, that's fantastic. You nailed the accent. I was like, no, that was basically like an Italian accent. That has nothing to do with it. And then, so the story of A Kid for Hitler was the idea of a young Jewish boy who decides that he, uh, he wants to give Hitler a little kitten because then it might change his mind about his evil ways. Mm. And... um, (laughs) Might work. It might have worked. Yeah. So Ken called me up one day and said, I've had an idea. I don't think we should use a real child for the role of the kid. (laughs) I was like, well, okay, what what would you prefer? And he said, "Um, could we get a dwarf? And... And I said, okay. Because <laughs> you don't want to piss Ken Russell off. He has this famously angry temper. He saw a thing in the contract <laughs> that there was a potential that we could change the title of the short film if we wanted to. And he didn't even ask if we were going to do that. He just called up yelling, just going, what are you doing? And I said, we're not going to do it. He went, okay, and hung up. And it was like, that's just his thing. He goes for anger. So yeah. I did manage to find a character to play the role, and we filmed it, and it is horrific. <laughs> the whole thing. Well, the, I, the whole, I, it's online. You can watch it. It's I awful. read the pricey, which is the boys, an American boy says, why is anyone going to get Hitler a Christmas present? And they said, no. And yeah. So he takes a kitten, and Hitler likes the kitten. Then he finds out the boy is Jewish yes. and kills him. Yes. Uh, and he's got a swastika like birthmark. Yes. And then he makes a lampshade out of the skin. So that's a pretty detailed synopsis yeah. online. Uh. <laughs> Don't worry, spoiler alert. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, quite controversial. Yeah, Mark Commode really liked it. <laughs> so. Do you think that bad? kitten thing could work? Can we send kittens to Syria? We're going to blanket bomb Syria with kittens. Do you think that was? <laughs> I suppose. I mean, the military have done that kind of stuff before, yeah. where they try to. I, I was reading just yesterday. There's an amazing book out called Grunt, which is uh, by uh, Mary Roach. Incredible book. And she looked into all the weird military ideas that are going on at the moment. And one of the things, this guy tried to develop this thing, which was, I think, John Ronson talks about this as well. It's called the gay bomb. The right, yes, yes, yes. So you would drop this bomb, and it would basically let off a kind of pheromone, and anyone would suddenly look at the same sex and go, I totally want to fight the war right now, but my goodness, you look hot. And <laughs> they would, they would yeah. start getting with each other. But the same 
person who developed that is also developing this really interesting thing, which is bird strikes on planes. Uh, when a plane is going up, the problem with the plane and the birds is that they have a very similar tone. So the birds have no idea if they're facing the wrong way, that a plane's coming up behind them. They assume it's another bird because right. they can hear this kind of tone. So he's created a new tone that goes on the front of all airplanes now as they take off. Yeah. So if a bird's in front, it hears a tone, and the tone is the tone that birds make if there's danger on the way. Okay. So they all go, whoops, and then they can see the plane, <laughs> and they move out of the way. Yeah. How cool is that? You just would have no idea that that's on the front now of planes. It's kind of... It's quite cool, but then there's a lot of nervous birds around, always going... <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of... Stuff. <laughs> ah! They can yeah. never relax, because planes are everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I feel sorry for the... I think we'll get a lot of uh, interesting facts out of you when we ask... I was just going to go spend the whole uh, interview going, what is your favourite fact about monkeys? And then see I what you could do. Okay, go. Well, <laughs> yeah, not just monkeys, all different questions it will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, specifically chimpanzees, I read a thing about okay. the other day, which is that they make flip-flops. They make sandals. Because <laughs> yeah. um, they often climb very spiky trees, and so it really hurts their feet. So they've worked out how to make a sort of sandal for their, for their feet that right. they... So they make them and wear them, obviously. There's no other reason to <laughs> just make them. Um, it's no sandal shop out in the jungle. But, uh, yeah, so they, that's my most recent favorite fact about that. Good, that's good. Well, yeah. I'll, keep te- I'll keep testing you. <laughs> see. Have you ever murdered someone by accident and never told, <laughs> never told anyone about it that you'd like to admit to now? No. No, but do you, do you remember, um, what was his name from, was it EastEnders or Coronation Street? Dirty Den. Dirty Den, yeah, Leslie Grantham. Yeah, so I, because I, I didn't grow up here, so I, I didn't watch any of that stuff, and I wasn't here when that happened, but I read about that, and I thought, my God, that's so weird, because he seems to be still acting, and that yeah. hasn't really ruined his career. And then I looked into his IMDb, and I worked out that when he made the announcement that he had, in fact, murdered someone overseas in Germany, I think yeah. it was, um, it kind of worked in his advantage because everyone thought, wow, this is kind of Dirty Dan. It's like a real badass kind of character. Yeah. And on his IMDb, the next role he played was he was cast in the movie Cluedo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> As if they just went, perfect. He's a real-life murderer. This will... I just thought, that's amazing. It worked out for him. So. It is odd the way that some people are allowed to do terrible crimes and carry on working, yeah. and other people do quite minor things in comparison to murder, yeah. and, and, and then are never allowed to work again. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sort true. Of, it's sort of an interesting thing. Have you ever done... Because I was talking about CJ, I think, in, I think someone's like, I can never remember what I've talked about in these. I find them boring, but... Um, <laughs> I think with Susie Dent, I was talking about CJ uh, having kicked this bloke into canal, and I, and I remembered having a dream where I thought I'd murdered a small girl and buried her in the Mendip Hills. Uh, and uh, have, you ever co- have you ever committed an imaginary crime? Ooh. Uh, of any uh, kind of murder or... Uh... Yeah, I, yeah, I... But I was quite... You know, I woke up, I was quite convinced I might have done it. So, and, I might, and I'm slightly worried now I put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be arrested in about two years. It takes the police about two years yes, to get around. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go and look at the next imaginary crime to investigate. So, yeah, yeah what were you... I, t- I had one dream years ago where I, um, I was looking at a very famous uh, portrait of someone and I, I can't remember what... I can't ex- remember exactly what I did in it, but I think I basically purposefully ruined the painting wow. for some reason and then freaked out and realised it was a priceless bit of art. Yeah. So I spent the whole dream going, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to owe millions and millions, and I spent this whole dream kind of trying to make the painting... The, what it was once again and it like was one the monkey, of those dreams the monkey genu- Jesus yeah yeah exactly and it was a dream where I was genuinely like freaking out and sweating yeah. inside it was a proper nightmare 
until it was right at the end, just before I woke up, where I completely calmed down, because I suddenly went, oh, hang on, this is the plot to the Mr. Bean movie. <laughs> and, so, and as soon as I thought that, for some reason, it kicked me out of the dream. And instead of panickingly waking up, I was just like, oh, okay, cool, that's... That's actually a really good movie. I should watch that again. It is weird when they, when those when dreams kind of inter, in, intersperse with reality. And you're not quite sure. I had a dream the other day that me and my wife had a second child, and someone came and asked me what the second child was called. We got one, and I, and I couldn't remember because I don't have a second child. <laughs> and so I had to kind of tread water and wait. So my wife came in and thinking, God, that's quite embarrassing. I can't remember the name of my yeah. child, but it took me about two days to realise that that hadn't happened. So uh, that's, I mean, that's when you when you have a baby, that's how your life becomes. Yeah. You're, you're pretty tired all the time, and everything becomes horrific. Just last night, my um, so all of yesterday, my fiance has been really pissed off with me, and she didn't say why. And then uh, last night, she said, "You kept me up all last night. You woke me up because I got home late." And she said. Yeah. You didn't stop talking to me when you got into bed. You kept me up, and then you went to sleep, and then I was awake. And I remember specifically getting home, falling asleep straight away, and not waking her up because I was right. like, if I talk to her, she will wake up. So what happened was that she woke up a tiny bit, <laughs> yeah. saw me get into bed, fell back asleep, had a dream about me talking to her, <laughs> and then woke up and spent the whole night and awake. And blamed you for it. Yeah, and then we yeah. worked out it was her dream. So that's you committing an imaginary crime in someone else's imagination. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, CJ's in trouble if that starts becoming it. <laughs> I've had some terrible dreams about things he's done and imagined. What did you say his real name was? His real name is Joseph Connor. So, like, Con, C O N A G H. So, is he dyslexic then? I don't, yes. I think, uh, I think when he chose his name, he thought, I am handsome, so, and I'm in Holland killing people yeah. by pushing them into. What's interesting about that is that we'll get back to that in a second. Hmm. The, year, the reason the police are talking to him, I think, is because the year that CJ was in, they always have lots of bodies in the canals. Right. But that year, there were 12 more bodies in the canals than usual. So I think the reason that they... This is what I read in the Daily Mirror. So I think the reason they've actually arrested him is because I think they think he's pushed a, a, a few more A few people. more. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he's, he's obviously reversed his initials and then said, I'm the handsome CJs. Oh, my God. Do you think, do you think he was going to admit to more in that first book, but then the publisher said, well, we can probably get a sequel out of this, so let's <laughs> save some revelations for the second. I mean, I, do you think it was worth... I mean, I don't know how well his autobiography sold. I, well, I mean that that was that was pushed massively, and my, yeah. so my fiance works in publishing, oh, really? and she was saying there was just no way any editor would allow that to go through. So it's quite confusing how something like that was allowed to be said in a book. Yeah, really odd. Yeah, hmm. he must have insisted. On That's it. inside gossip there from the publisher. <laughs> so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about you for people who may not know, but I'm sure they do. Uh, you were started out as well. You were born in Hong Kong. Let's go all the way back. Yeah. And I, I kind of figured you were American, you know, but that's... Well, yeah, no, I went, I went to an international school right, in yeah. Hong Kong. So I, was, I went to a... Um, uh, it was predominantly mostly Chinese kids, or, right. or they were half Chinese, half American, okay. uh, white, you know, Caucasian parents from America or Australia. Or, or, and so my dad was from Australia, mum was from England, uh, but they met in Hong Kong, both hairdressers. Okay. Uh, yeah, set up a salon <laughs> in Hong Kong, and we, um, we grew up there. So I grew up there until I was 12, and all the teachers had American accents and so on. Okay. Yeah, and we got taught Mandarin, which was quite difficult to learn because they speak Cantonese in Hong Kong. So okay. <laughs> it's really odd uh, decision-making. But, um, yeah, so that, hence the accent. Yeah. 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 And then I moved to Sydney when I was uh, 13 and did high school there. Okay. So it's a kind of mixture of Aussie and uh, American. Yeah. 
Did they like you when you came to high school in Australia, the strange Mandarin-speaking American... I thought I was going to have to lose the accent because I thought they were just going to kick my ass. Because I had the impression that Americans weren't liked in Australia, which is completely wrong, but I went in with that that idea and I kept saying, dude, and cowabunga, so I was like, all right, I'm dead. (laughs) And... um, and then they kind of latched onto it. And so everyone in my family got the opposite. They completely changed their accent. My sister, my brother, they've now got sort of Aussie accents. Right. And I just hung on to mine. So I'm like this lone American in my family <laughs> while everyone's else like, good I might. How's it going? And I'm like, hey, dude, what's up? I'm Dan. Um, it worked, yeah they, yeah. they like it in Australia. Okay, cool. That's interesting. And so you were, then you came to the UK when you were about 19? Yeah, I was 19. So I went to a, uh, I went to a Steiner school, right. Rudolf Steiner school, which is very, if you don't know, it's super hippie school um, where genuinely they talk more about your aura than your grades. Like it's a really kind of, they, they just want to personally develop you into a better person. And um, you get an option at the end of school, which is you either do the normal exams that every other kid in the world does, or you do a weird project. Right. And I chose to do the weird project. So, <laughs> so I, I didn't have qualifications from high school, which meant I couldn't go to university. So I moved over here, just hoping to get into comedy. And yeah, yeah so at 19, I came here. Really? So you came to the UK to get into comedy? Yeah. And then you did get into comedy? Yeah, like almost literally as well. <laughs> you know in the movies when you see somebody in Hollywood get off with their two suitcases? I, I arrived, the first person person I met was John Lloyd, who's right. the producer of QI. Well, in, the a- and in the airport. Yeah, he had a sign. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, funny, come in. Yeah, no, like literally within a few weeks of yeah. arriving, and then I needed to find a house, and I moved in, and there was one flatmate I hadn't met, and that flatmate's dad was a guy called, uh, I think it was John Howard Davies, who, oh, yeah, yeah. who made Faulty Towers and made <laughs> everything, like he's Monty Python he yeah, commissioned, yeah. I think, um, or at least made. Yeah, so I was like, well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, literally. No. But I think, I was sort of thinking about this the other day, because I think, you know, if people ask you how to get into the business and that sort of thing, and a lot of people email and you say, how do I become a comedian? And you kind of go, well, you know, you're not going to become a comedian because you become a comedian by just trying to be a comedian. You yeah. know I mean? If you want to be one, you go out and try and do it. And I'm sure when I, when I first started, I was sort of similar. And then, then you think, oh, well, I'll go to this meeting and see what happens. If you're interested in doing something you'll find it and if you're young as well I think people will think oh that, that guy's keen and interested so we'll give him a job and we don't have to pay him very much yeah exactly and, uh, what, so but, what was your how did you get into it well we started, well, I started writing for Weekending but I basically I, you know, I remember writing to the BBC and saying oh it's impossible to get started and then they, Harry Thompson wrote back oh, the wow. producer and said no it's not come to the Weekending uh, by the way, how's your brother? Because he played cricket with my brother, weirdly. Right. That's <laughs> so, so cool. Uh, uh, Harry Thompson, so he made Have I Got News For You yeah, I mean, and Ali yeah. G as well, I think he I think made. he might have done that. I mean, he was definitely uh, Buzzcocks and all those sort of things. Yeah. He, sort of, he was, and wrote brilliant novels. He unfortunately died at about 45 years old of uh, cancer, but he was yeah, an amazing, amazing guy. And so, yes, yeah, so I got into week, Weekending and just started writing there. And that's, that's how you do it. And you meet lots of people. You meet people who you... Similar to, and, yeah. you know, and, and then you, you find your way through with that. But yeah, I mean, obviously, meeting, working with John Lloyd. Yes. So what year was that? What, what, what 2003. Ah, oh, someone's phone's gone off, going to have to have them murdered. It'll probably be John Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2003. 2003, yeah. yeah. Um, so QI had... I'd met him just before the first series of QI went right. out, but they had already filmed it. Okay. And, um, and they decided that they thought this is going to be successful, this is going to work. So they were based in Oxford, and rather than... They had the option of releasing a QI book, Companion, and John instead decided to release a building. He, he built... <laughs> it's 
not built physically, but there was a building in Oxford which became the QI Club, right. which were our offices, and there were restaurants in it, a private member's bar, okay. and a bookshop. And so we all worked in there. I ran the bookshop for a while okay. and in between writing uh, research for the series. Yeah. Um, so they were doing a lot of stuff, so they needed young people who didn't know anything, yeah. and I fit the bill. <laughs> yeah. So you're a QI elf. If you, uh, elf, can you... Um, and there's a Twitter account of the QILs. Yeah, Quikipedia. Yeah. yeah. Um, and can you st- ask them to stop tweeting the fact about uh, herrings communicate by farting? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fact. I know, but every time, every time that you tweet that, I get 500 people going, is this true? Yeah. And I go, yeah, it is true. <laughs> Pretty much it is true. But it gets quite annoying, so stop, yes. stop, tweeting, stop tweeting that. Um, I'll ask you an emergency question before I forget. I see if I, that, that's going to be a new emergency question. We've already asked it. Have you ever killed someone but never spoken about it? <laughs> Again, it's like the Bigfoot one. You know, it's going to be a lot of no, but when it pays off, <laughs> that's going to be... If Stephen Fry comes on again, oh, yeah, I did, I murdered... Um, just on Bigfoot. Yeah. Uh, okay. Have you seen Have you seen a Bigfoot? I haven't. No, okay. but I know the world leading expert, which is Brian Blessed. He's oh, yes. a Yeah. Brian Blessed, as well as being an amazing uh, actor, claims to be the world leading Bigfoot and Yeti expert. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, the thing about Bigfoot in Canada is they used to leave salt on the side of the roads, but the government don't do it anymore because Bigfoot keeps eating it all, and <laughs> it's costing the country too much. Yeah. So. If you live in Canada or go there, notice there is no salt anymore because, yeah, it's Bigfoot prevention. Yeah. Yeah. Are you writing something? You're writing a book called Brian, Blind, Brian Blessed for Beginners. Is yes. That is that coming out or is that out? Already? No, it, no one was interested. Oh, really? <laughs> I must get Brian Blessed on this. I know his daughter. He'd be amazing He'd on be this. Ama- show. I mean, he's, I met him once, and I think I might have said this before, but he, I met him at a party and he said, and he was telling me how he was on a mission to, he was going to Mars. He was, yes. He'd been, yeah. But yeah. he wasn't saying it's a TV show. He was saying, I'm going to Mars. Yeah. The first time I yeah. ever met him, that's the first thing he told me. So he, I, when I first met him, he was... He, so I make a radio show called Museum of Curiosity, and it was series one, and Brian was a guest on it. And uh, so he was waiting in reception, and I went in to get him, and he had this huge blue and purple face. Like, it was just completely <laughs> bruised here. And he looked really out of it as well. And I was like, oh, hi, Brian, I'm Dan. Um, you okay? And he, and he went, don't be alarmed, old boy. Got kicked in the face by a horse. <laughs> that morning. He got kicked in the face that morning. Yeah. And he thought, better go to my Radio 4 show. Yeah. And, and okay. So we... I, I brought him in Broadcasting House. There's this kind of green room downstairs. He was the first guest there. So I thought, amazing, I've got time alone with Brian Blessed. And he was telling me all these amazing stories. And probably my favorite fact, which I tell everyone, is that because he's climbed Everest three times, never made it to the top, and been very, very close. And he said to me, uh, and I hope this is not liable because I haven't seen it in print, but he said it to me, that he once survived... Uh, so basically an avalanche erupted on Everest and was heading towards him and his entire team and it was certain doom it was just on the way and I was like my god how did you survive and he said I yelled it into another direction (laughs) (laughs) 
See, you know, if we ask Brian Blessed if he's ever killed someone but never spoken about it, I think we might. And that yes, might be the answer. Be, yes. But the Morris thing that he said to me, so, yeah. I, so he was telling me all these amazing adventures. He's been to Venezuela looking for dinosaurs. He's the oldest man to go to the magnetic North Pole. And it was all these amazing stories. And I was like, I'm being, I need to produce a show here. So I'll, do you want a tea, Brian? Uh, would you like a tea? And he was like, yes, love a tea, love a tea. So I, I quickly ran out and made him a tea. And when I came back, I was met by a completely different character. He was so happy. He was really jolly. And suddenly he was pacing the room furious. And if you ever get a chance to see us like an angry Brian Blessed, <laughs> that's scarier than a Bigfoot, I reckon, if you met him. And he, uh, so I was like, Brian, you okay? What's going on? And he, he said... Just got off the phone to the Russians. <laughs> They've cancelled my trip to Mars. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and of course, because he was so angry, I was just like, they did what? Fuck those guys. <laughs> Damn it. Instead of saying, you're nuts, you're not going to Mars. Um, but the thing that freaked me out about it more than that sentence, because I knew he wasn't going to Mars. So I was like, okay, you're not going to Mars. The thing that freaked me out is that I knew as a fact that Brian Blessed doesn't own a mobile phone, and there was no phone. <laughs> so something happened between me leaving the yeah. room and making a tea and coming back that this guy received an imaginary phone call <laughs> from the cosmonauts telling him his mission was cancelled. He's an amazing guy. You've got to yeah. get on. You won't say a word the whole time. I know. Well, I like those ones, to be honest. <laughs> Especially when I'm you know, a bit hungover and tired. That's, uh... <laughs> Uh, I'll ask you uh, one of these. Uh, have you ever flown a kite? Uh, yes. Yeah. How was it? How was it? Is it good? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. I'm not very good at it. Well, it's quite hard, isn't it? Did you, was it's it one so you made yourself or one that you bought? One that I bought, but then you make it yourself. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I I couldn't I couldn't get it up at all. Okay. <laughs> That's. <laughs> And then I went out to fly a yeah, kite, sure. so, <laughs> and it went fly. Uh, what's your favourite fact about a kite? Um, there used to be a punishment in ancient China, whereby if you were uh, if you were you know needed to be jailed or taught a lesson, um, they used to make kites out of a very primitive paper. Uh, they would tie you to a very large kite and yeah. let it fly you away. <laughs> <laughs> Off a cliff, I think. I don't know. I might have made that up. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, the good, that's the good thing about being in your position. You can just say a load of shit. Yes. How yeah. many times did the, the QI facts wrong? Do, do you ever find out later that they were incorrect facts? Or? In my case, literally, we do a <clears> weekly <throat> podcast every week. The right. majority <laughs> of my stuff is, is pretty much wrong. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, because I don't make them up, but also because I, I kind of like saying stuff that are theories, and I forget to mention that they're a theory. Yeah. So I will say, because there's a theory that the real reason that the Titanic sank is not because um, it hit an iceberg, but because so many time travelers visited it at the same time <laughs> that the weight of humans pushed it underneath the surface. But I'll forget to say there's a theory, and I'll just say <laughs> the real reason the Titanic sank. So it's, you know, confusing, yeah. admittedly. Yeah. I think I would have spotted that one probably wasn't yeah. true. Although th this is true in, with time travellers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a place, it's a commune in Italy uh, called Damnaher, which is amazing. If you Google it, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's a cult that build it, built it as well. It's a right. sort of underground temple, and they believe they can time travel. And it's such an interesting idea. They teach their time travellers to not poo, 
So no time traveler who's Italian poos in the past because if you poo in the past, you're bringing bacteria and disease into that world. Yeah. So when they go time traveling, they hold it in. So they have huge amounts of lessons to just learn how to not poo, basically. Mm. So that's a true fact. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they don't ever travel in time, though, so they don't really have to hold it in. Yes. But, <laughs> but the fact is, is that they're taught to... They're taught how yeah, to do that in case. In case. Something, something happens. Yeah. But what if they were meant to go back in time and do that poo in order for some bacteria to go into the past, and then they didn't, and then the whole future changes as a result of them not pooing? Then it would probably still happen anyway, because you would always have sent someone back who couldn't hold their shit in. Okay. <laughs> they should have trained that guy better. <laughs> um, I love time travel. Uh, so, you know, anything about time travel, you can talk to me about all day. Uh, have you ever tried sushi? Yeah, I love yeah, sushi. Nice, isn't it? Really into it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like to know. Um, I think you might, this, you might be good at this. Have you, have you got what it takes to be a spy? I, I, yeah, I thought yeah. I did. I really, and I'm quite surprised that I was never asked because I grew speak up... Speak Mandarin. Speak Mandarin, grew up in Hong Kong, and I have family who live all over. So my sister lives in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. My uh, grandmother, up until two months ago, lived in a very small little place outside of Belgrade that's unrecognized called Yugovo. So it's a country called Yugovo, unrecognized. Okay. She lived in Kosovo and Cambodia before that. My uncle lives in Singapore. So I have excuses to go to places and yeah. pretend that I should be there. Um, and if you were a spy, you would say you weren't a spy. Yeah. So you're doing really well. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But I'm starting to think that I'm the only non-spy in the family. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else has got it covered. Right. My parents, hairdressers, hairdressers in Hong Kong. Come that's, on. That's a good, uh, that's a good cover. Bullshit. Yeah. Are, they good, are they good at hairdressing or do they all come out wrong? <laughs> yeah. Oops, sorry. I thought we were about to be attacked, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just a walking stick. I thought it was I thought it was our, our Mark Chapman moment there. Which you know, nice to get it on podcast if it happens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> as long as it's you that gets shot, it's okay. <laughs> that's that's really good publicity for me in there. At all. I um, so uh, <laughs> be better if you're a bit more famous. Uh, so um, <laughs> I've. Uh, we, between the two, we are, we, we, uh, we are the only winners, us and our teams, of the Chortle, the prestigious Chortle Internet Award. Yes. I think I've won five of them, or four of them. I think I was, it's more than I thought, and yeah. you've, won the, you've won the next two. We won two, yeah. yeah. And, and then, we, then no one else has won them. No, no one's won them yet. Yeah. And probably my worst stage moment ever was <laughs> my acceptance speech at our first win, because yeah. you, you were nominated as well. And you very kind of publicly just... You said everyone vote for Stu Goldsmith, yeah, yeah. and you didn't ask for any votes, whereas we were like, please vote for us, we really <laughs> want to win this. And then we did win it, and you came up to me, and you said, oh, you've, you've, you've toppled me, you've, you've toppled me, I've won every single one. And for some reason, in my head, everyone had heard that. So when I got up on stage to accept the award, I said, uh, this is so amazing that we've won, I can't believe it, we've overthrown the dictator of the podcasting world. <laughs> Kim Jong Herring has been toppled. <laughs> no one laughed. Everyone was like, who is this dickhead? And I got off stage, and I didn't notice at the time, but then a comedian friend, Alex Edelman, who was just still clapping as we got off, went, well done, you're now the most hated man in the room. <laughs> and it went from this success to... And then I spent, like, two hours just hanging around you going, I'm so sorry, Mr. Herring, I'm so sorry, please. 
Oh, no, that's fine. I, was, I listened to your podcast today for the first time. Oh, thanks. Uh, and uh, it's... Well, you know, half of one. And it was good. Thank you. It was good. I'm not as good as my stuff. No, nowhere near. But, uh, it's, <laughs> and you've taken... So the idea that there's four of you... Yeah. It's kind of nerds. Yes, so we're, the four of us are the, the QI elves, yeah. as it were. There's, there's a lot more, but in the office, uh, we often, when we're researching, we'll see a fact and we'll think... God, this would be great for the show, but it's not appropriate, or the shows are so far away, and yeah. the conversation gets lost. So we just thought, let's sit around, put a microphone on yeah. the table, and start recording it. And we just each bring a fact to the table and just start chatting. And yeah. That was two years ago, and yeah, it's just, yeah, it's kind of grown into a number of things now. Yeah, well, a TV show, well, what I loved about it, looking at it, was James, who's uh, the nerdiest one, I would say. Yes, yeah. I mean, none of you should be on TV. No. In, uh, <laughs> in, in the modern way, it's like going back to the 1970s, where they allowed you know, freaks, normal-looking freaks, <laughs> yeah. to be on TV, which was a better time and would have been better for me as well, I have to say. <laughs> but uh, James, who's uh, the least TV surprise, you know, the, the least person you expect to see on TV, I think, out of the four of you. Yeah. But he was just sending in facts in his spare time. When yeah, when, a... the, yeah this, was, this was back in sort of 2004, and I'd just started on QI, and we had these QI forums, and he was working as an accountant in, I think he was in Bolton at the time, right. and on his lunch break, he would just go online, and he would submit potential QI questions, and he would produce more in a lunch hour than we did in a week. Like, it was just thunderously productive, and so John Lloyd immediately was like, I want you to come work for QI. And James said, I don't have any interest. I prefer the accounting. And, <laughs> and he was like, no, seriously, you'll get to hang around Stephen Fry and celebrities in the comedy world at parties. And he's like, nah, I like the numbers. I just want to crunch them. So genuinely, the only reason that he came over is that John promised him that as well as doing QI, he could do some accounting for them on the side. <laughs> <laughs> and... So he joined, and, and James uh, is the most reluctant. So James is now on this RTV show, and he is one of four, and uh, he's the most reluctant TV personality yeah. in the world. He just, everything that's gone right for him, he just detests. Yeah. So he suddenly became an author, and he's like, oh, great. And then he, you know, and, and best selling books, oh, damn it. And then, oh, let's do a podcast, so it's going well. Fuck, okay. <laughs> BBC Two have given us a TV show. No and, and it just, he hates all of it. And he obviously enjoys it as well, but like he has no interest in getting on TV. So, yeah, he'd rather be an accountant involved. Yeah, some people have been trying for 30 years to get on TV. <laughs> They're desperate for it. Yeah. So you did. You got your podcast onto TV as well. I guess, I guess the QI connection was like a, a help. But how did you? Yeah. How did you manage to uh, make that shift across? We started doing live shows of yeah. the of the podcast, and that worked really well. That yeah, was really I do good. those as well. But have, <laughs> and I film them to make them look like a TV show. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so we we uh, we basically we filmed one at up the creek, which is a comedy club in Greenwich. And John Lloyd happened to be having a chat with a guy called Keith Blackmore, who is the head of BBC or deputy head of BBC News. And they were looking for a new comedy show to go on, which they I just because we just announced our second series, and part of the press release said that we're the second series to be commissioned by BBC News for comedy 
since 1962, right. and that was that was the week that was right, David okay. Frost. So we're their second commission. So okay. they're, they're taking their time on they each do. commission. But um, yeah, he he saw the video and he said, "Can you make it for nothing?" And we said, "Yep." <laughs> and he said, "Can you do it uh, in a month?" And we said, "Yeah." And so we just we just jumped. For it. And it looks shit. If you see it, it looks unbelievably crap. There's flies in the background. Someone wrote in, and we read it out on the show. Someone said, it looks like a hostage video. <laughs> and it does. It does. It just looks terrible. But it looks worse than this looks. That's why. That's what it yeah. has. So we're just sitting here. We haven't set up a TV show. Yeah. And this looks better. This than looks like this yeah. is a dream. I would love this. This would be amazing. Yeah. But I love that. I think that's good. But that's, you know, TV shows, there's no reason why... A, TV shows can't be some people talking, which I think people yeah. veer away from a little bit, or try to dress it up. In, you know, I think like, so, for example, your show and the, uh, the Charlie Brooker and uh, David Mitchell and Jimmy Carr and Lauren Laverne, one that I keep getting the name of wrong, uh, I think yours is a, a better and funnier show because it's got a, you know, it's, got, it's, a, it's a heart. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, because, it, because that one, I think they would admit it as well, because that was a show that was put together... A, you know, yeah. let's get four people together and they're all doing things that they're not hugely comfortable with yeah. but yours is four it looks like four friends but also you're having a laugh and, and you don't script it you, you all come in with your own yeah, fact it's, and it's completely it. unscripted that, that was actually the best thing about it because when we make the podcast we each bring a headline fact and then we all go away and research it but we don't tell each other what we found so when we come back to the table to the microphones it's all fresh conversation yeah. um, and we'll have notes where we'll make sure that we get the dates and so on right because we get a lot of letters when we get them wrong <laughs> our kind of nerdy audience um but so when we pitched the show that was the immediate thing of sort of okay why these four let's get famous celebrities let's get a glossy studio yeah let's have it scripted let's make sure we have comedy writers giving them lines and john lloyd said none of that is going to happen in fact no one is going to see any of their facts or anything so john he's the producer on the show but yeah. he because we've made the podcast he's let us go and do it on our own and I wanted to give him the credit at the end of Bouncer, because that's genuinely what he did. Yes. He was the bouncer to the show. He just sure. stood there and said, no one's coming in, no one's seeing anything. So we make it, we immediately leave the studio, run to, we get a cab to the uh, edit suite, we stay up till seven in the morning editing it, and then it goes out that night. Right. Yeah, it's a mad thing, but it's yeah. cool. TV doesn't get made like that anymore. Well, that's it, and I think, well, I think like a lot of successful TV, like Monty Python, you know, they would just said, well, here's the money, go off and make it, and yeah. then, it, then it came in. And I think like getting a team of people who want to work with each other and letting them get on with it, you know, it might not always work, but it's going to work more, I think, than let's get that person and that person and this writer and that. Because the problem with a lot of the TV panel shows is they've got the same writers. I mean, even, even when they've got different people on them, it's the same team of people behind the scenes giving the, yeah. giving the joke. So there's a very similar style of joke in all of, the, in all of those shows. So yeah. it's just interesting to see something a bit different. But why do you think that in this kind you know, like if you go to America, there's like dozens of like daily or weekly satirical topical shows yeah. that all seem to work and all seem to, you know, in their own different way. We've never been able, I mean, since that was the week that was possibly, we haven't done that in this country really, have we? I mean, I suppose not nine o'clock news, but that, yeah. but that topical show of just, which, you, you know, your show is, but why do you think we haven't got more of that in this country? Why yeah, I don't know. I always got the impression that it was because um, Britain really loves their comedians to be completely behind everything they're saying out on the screen yeah. so when you watch Monty Python you love knowing that they wrote it just as that team yeah. and Mitchell and Webb even though there were writers there was the impression that it was just Mitchell and Webb who yeah. were kind of putting it together 
And whereas in America, they just they do do the opposite. And I know that's kind of going against what I was saying about how we make our show. But I think scripted comedy is slightly different because mm. a room full of people can come up with a better joke if you've got a great premise and a great tone and a great show that's created. And I don't know. Yeah, why is there no... Well, it's interesting, you know, John or... Oliver has just won the Emmy for the best one of those shows. Yeah. And he's from Britain. Yeah. And was, you know, basically when he was on the circuit, was struggling, would occasionally get a little bit on TV, but no one was really interested in him, went to America, has his own show. I think he does mainly write. I think he has people fact-checking yeah. fact stuff. Wow. But I think he writes nearly all of it. So it's sort of crazy that we haven't got that. Yeah. Because, that's, again, it's not an expensive show. To, I mean, it's more expensive than your show to me. Yes. <laughs> I like that your, your desk, you're sort of sitting behind a desk that just looks like it's a table with a sheet over it. It is a table with okay. a sheet over it, yeah. And we have a tiny lip that our, our line producer, on the day of filming it, went into our garden and found some planks of wood and we nailed it to the table and... There's literally no budget. It's made for nothing. It's, yeah, it's they pay, Do they pay you for being on it? Uh, yeah, but, okay. like, nothing. Again, it's, it's sort of, like, 500 pounds yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, which... you know, you've got to get a camp to Greenwich. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, so they came back and they said, great news. Because the idea was if we get a second series, we'll get um, more. So they said, we've, we've got you more. You've got eight episodes this series. Yeah. Like, Fantastic. How much more money? Nothing. <laughs> I think even we have, like, five episodes worth of money to make eight, yeah. uh, as opposed to five for five, like the first series. But, you know, I sort of think it's about the BBC, right? I mean, I'm, I, I, all this stuff about the uh, how much people are earning, which is kind of crazy that that's coming out, because it's about something else, and it's crazy that you can go, oh, they're earning this much money, this is a reason to take more money from the BBC and destroy them and the Great British Bake Off and everything. But it's actually, in the, as a comedian, I think it's in your interest... If you're touring as well, yeah. it's just go and do it for nothing. Mm. Go and work. say, I love the BBC. I, I, if the BBC are listening, I will come and do a show for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think all the other people get paid. But I would, I would happily do a stand-up show or a sketch show on the, on the telly without getting paid for it, which I'm doing I'm on my own anyway. So I'd yeah. happily do it on the BBC. Because, you know, the amount... If, so with Stuart Lee, who was on the BBC, but is now not on the BBC, because, uh, well, they, man, I've got the, rid of the bake-off. They can probably afford to have him back again. So, but uh, yeah. his, is not, his is not an expensive show. But, you know, he wouldn't get paid much for writing and being in that show. But then he tours it for t- he tours the material for two years and to a thousand people a night. So you right. know that. So you would make your money yeah. that way, and also go, hey, I love the BBC because I do love the BBC, and yeah. I think it's kind of crazy that people are getting paid hundred fifty thousand pounds in a way. But if that's your job and that's your only job, it's it's fair enough that you get paid what you're worth. Yeah. But you know, for 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 a comedian, it would just be that would be an amazing opportunity, wouldn't it? Totally. So I and think for you, that must you you're still doing your live shows. Yeah, and, exactly. And it, must, it must have an impact. It does, and also yeah. like the the chance to make a BBC show, which again, you know, when as I say, I moved over to England because yeah. of comedy. The big thing was BBC. You know, all the shows, all the great comedies were made by BBC. So the idea that you could come over here and get the chance in this climate as well, where like it seems that comedy is being knocked out of TV quite yeah. a bit. And, and any time there is a comedy show, it's comedians are being replaced by reality stars and, and so on because they, they are funny, but there should be, I think, a yeah. chance for a lot of comedians to be on shows as well. Um, how cool to get a chance to make a show all by yourself, a group yeah. of four people, edit it the way you want it, not show anyone what you're doing, yeah. and have it go out. That's so cool. It's, yeah, we don't, we, when they said you have no more money, we weren't like, what? We were like, fine, <laughs> how cool to just do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's true, and I think, you know, I think in the in the long run, I think it's um, it's it's better for everyone anyway. But 
Yeah. Money isn't important, is it? No. Well, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> and so, well, I, 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 very, I saw a mention of this, which I, I couldn't find much more about it, but you did a pilot with Buzz Aldrin. Is this true? Yeah, that was, that was ages ago. So I, I had... Um, so you've been on Museum of Curiosity have, yeah. once. Um, Rich, so if you, if you don't know the show, it's a show that I produce, and John Lloyd is the host of it, and it's on Radio 4. And the idea is that we have a panel who aren't just comedians. They are academics, deep-sea divers, nuns, whatever. We'll, we'll get them on, and at the end of the show, we ask each of them to donate an item to our Museum of Curiosity, which is an impossible imaginary museum. So you could put in anything you want. You put in... Rasputin's penis I wanted to put in. Yes. I don't know if I got that. I think I you might, did. Might be yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, I think you got Rasputin's penis in. Um, <laughs> and you were, oh, you were on... We had a really good episode, actually. You were on with uh, Chris Clement, who was an Australian lizard expert. That's right, yes. he was. Who just good. loved lizards like nothing else. <laughs> he would talk about them in a cheeky way. If you showed him a picture, and you go, oh, there's my old mate, the lizard. Um, which is really exciting. And it was very cool because you had to leave afterwards, but we went to a metal bar on Denmark <laughs> Street yeah, with this Aussie lizard expert just rocking out to death metal. It was amazing. Um, and and uh, that show, Museum of Curiosity, morphed out of a previous idea that I'd had, which was about explorers because um, I was obsessed with explorers. And we managed to make this small pilot and Buzz Aldrin came on as a guest. Right. And that is weird meeting someone like Buzz Aldrin because you feel like he's from the past. He's not, yeah. he shouldn't be in front of you. And we had him on museum as well. And this, I, this, I know you don't really edit, but this might be liable. So you okay. might have to edit this. But when, when he came on museum of curiosity, uh, he had arrived uh, from Belgium, I think, so he, he should have been very tired. We did the show, and he just kept going, and we were up in a bar at about 11.50, and Buzz, who was in his late 80s, at, like, 12 a.m., pulled. <laughs> he, he took someone back to his hotel room. He was like, I'm out of here. And this girl was like, it's Buzz we just couldn't believe... We, genu- we had this chat. We were like, is- that's more impressive than the moon landing. <laughs> this guy. I think the two things may be connected. Once you've been on, once you've been on the moon. Yes. Yeah. But we were, we were all going. If he just pointed to us and said, you're coming with me, would you, I would have been like, definitely. Like, no way. No way I'm saying no to Buzz. That's amazing. But yeah, really, really... Um, he's a very intimidating character to yeah. meet. Um, and also, when you talk to him... He has a, you know, you know when you see TV shows uh, that are going over to someone out in the field and it takes four seconds for them to hear the sentence? Yeah. He's got that same delay. <laughs> and he's got such a stern, solid head. I would say the most solid head I've ever seen as well. Like if you had to, if someone's uh, aliens came and said, we need an example of a head, I'd be like, Buzz Aldrin, <laughs> have that head. Uh, his his face, while you ask the question, looks like he wants to punch you yeah. in that four second gap. And then he might say, it was a lovely time up there, actually, and be really nice. But yeah, very scary. Like because when he went into space, it's like it's Planet of the Apes, and he's come back and he's slightly in a different time zone. Yes, because he wasn't there for very long, so he's only travelled four yeah. seconds. It might be, it might be. That. I, you know, these are my my slight dubious facts that I yes. had. Um, I asked him one because I read that when they went to the moon, uh, that they were all given a dollar bill, but a half of a dollar bill, so they ripped it in half. 
so that once they came back from the moon, they would present it back to NASA to prove that they weren't cloned by aliens <laughs> and it was a clone that had come back to Earth right. instead of them. Yeah. Uh, and I said, is that true? And he said, no. <laughs> and he said it in a way that made me realize I should never have asked that no. question. <laughs> well, he punched that guy, didn't he, for, he saying, did. for saying he'd never been to the moon. Yeah, yeah. an amazing clip of him just walloping. As, again, like a man in his 70s, probably. Just some guy's been bugging him about the, the moon landing. It's being fake. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a very famous um, moon landing denier who yeah. follows him around everywhere and followed Neil Armstrong and, and all the guys who've landed on the moon and trying to get them to swear on the Bible. So Buzz punched him. It was illegal. It went to court. And the judge went, get out of here. It's Buzz Aldrin. He does what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> Threw it out of court. <laughs> no interest. That's, that's fair enough. Uh, who do you think would win in a fight between Buzz Aldrin and Brian Blessed? Whoa. Um, I mean, God, you know, like, it would still be raging. It'd be yeah. one of those fights that is just. You'd be tracking it on GPS. They're like somehow made their way to Venezuela. They're in the jungle. It would just be raging, yeah. a forever fight. And uh, blessed would be that you've only been to the moon. I'm going to Mars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You're nothing. I know there's a brilliant 30 Rock episode with Buzz Aldrin in it. Have you seen that one? Yeah. And he's, um, and he's just at the end, he's shouting, and the moon's in the sky. He's going, I've walked on your face. I see you, moon. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's, often when you have that, when you have like a celebrity appear in a sitcom, they're a bit kind of, the acting's a bit terrible. Yes. Yeah. But it's good. He, he does that very well. It's believable. But that, that makes sense with the bit that we've redacted now. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, are you ever confused with Dan Schreiber, the poker player? Um, there was a period where on Wikipedia yeah. uh, that was the case. But no, I don't know much about him. Yeah. I don't know, because occasionally in the early days when you're doing stand-up, you want to see if anyone is mentioned before Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. You'd be like, did anyone mention my gig? And I'd go on, and there was always, there always just seemed to be a new Dan Schreiber who had died. Right. Like, just always a new report. And I always thought my friends Googling, if oh, what's Dan up to in England? How's the comedy career? That's the first thing. Tragic yeah. death of Dan Schreiber in yeah. airplane crash. So I, I know about other Dan Schreibers, but yeah. not the poker. There are one. a few, because there's four or five on. It's not that common a name, is it? Schreiber, or maybe it is? I don't think, I, well, it's, I think in Austria it is, yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah. What does it mean, Schreiber? Writer. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Uh, you are a writer though aren't you that's why that's that's interesting Um, and you know such thing as a fish comes from uh, Stephen Jay Gould is one of my favourite authors yeah yeah somebody tragically died incredibly young yeah he did what did he die of he was it was another kind of rare cancer I think he actually lived for a long lot longer than he should he had a rare cancer and he was meant to die in his 30s I think but he died in his 50s maybe okay right um, he's and he does. He's got an amazing. Well, loads of his. All of his books are great. I think they I prefer him to Dawkins. He famously had a feud with Gould, didn't he? Yeah, they didn't like each other. But I think I think Gould was a much better writer. Well, a much better popular writer because he's much more readable. Yeah. I think and much more likable and he's much more human. I think. Yeah. In that he, he was he was prepared to sort of not. Um, you know, in a way that uh, Dawkins is very anti-religion, obviously. Uh, Gould, was, uh, Gould was able to kind of come up with scenarios which uh, allowed both people to have their, their time. Yeah, okay. whilst, whilst not getting, you know, uh, maybe God did invent this. It wasn't that kind of thing, but, you know, it, 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 was, it was just more of, you know, it's lovely writing. He wrote a brilliant one about um, why men have uh, nipples. 
Uh, and just like a short, a short thing about that that's worth having a look at and explains that question. Okay. Uh, Do you know? Yeah, well, it's basically because we're all built to the same template as human beings. So the nipples develop in the womb. It's the, like, we're, the clitoris and the penis are the same, oh, okay. are the same organ. Yeah. Uh, they just develop differently in the womb. So up to 13 weeks, you're not actually male or female. Right. And then hormones act on you at 13. I can't believe I'm telling one of the QIL. <laughs> Why am I never, You must have done this one. Uh, and so, the, you know, the nipples need to be there because women are going to need them to suckle their young. And, yeah. and, and similarly, the, the clitoris is just, uh, you know, a vestigial penis. It's no, of no use at all. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> but it's in fact a, t- you know, it's in fact a super sensitive micro super penis, in fact. Right. So it's the, I, wrote this, I, wrote, I wrote my book, Talking Cock, all about that, so so, right. know, so women have cocks as well, but and they're kind of better than men's cocks, really. <laughs> so uh, less efficient. Yeah, I had that book. Do you know <laughs> when I when I first moved to England, I went. Yeah. I was living in Oxford, and um, the first I went into what was it? For, no, not for Borders Bookshop. Oh yeah. And the first ever thing I saw there was an event which was Richard Herring doing talking oh, cock yeah, for yeah. his book release, oh. and yeah. I didn't make it, but I. I <laughs> but I'm very excited to. It's exciting to know that I would be in that. <laughs> yeah. That same <laughs> Those are the days, isn't it? When I was still young, relatively young. Hey, do you mind very quickly if yeah. I tell you my favourite fact that I read today? Okay. I just, I just, because I sometimes you read a fact and you just think I just want as many people to hear this sure. as possible. I'm reading a David Bowie biography at the moment, and uh, when he did Space Oddity, he released it, did very well, and they tried to release it overseas, but obviously no one was taking to it. And I think it was like Italy or Spain, I can't remember now. Uh, they basically, two guys covered Space Oddity over there. Right. So it got released there. And so they were making more money. He was still getting royalties. But his manager, Bowie's manager, said, we should just translate Space Oddity and you can sing it. We'll get the translator to teach you the words and then just get it out there and then release it and then we can get all the money. Yeah. So he said, okay, fine, let's do it. He wasn't really bothered. The translator came over, had translated it, taught Bowie all the words and he sang it. And Bowie, at the end of it, when they'd finished after like nine-hour sessions, said, um, God, that must have been really weird for you, you know, translating a song about astronauts and so on into Italian. It must have been really hard. And the translator said... Yeah, I didn't really like the lyrics. I changed them. I, uh, <laughs> and Bo was like, what? And he said, yeah, I wrote it about a guy and a girl who meet on a mountain and have a first kiss. It's really nice. <laughs> and Bo was like, but my song's about an astronaut. And he said, Italians aren't going to like this astronaut stuff. Just stick with the, trust me, it will work. And, and so they went with it and released it, and it was a massive hit there. So yeah. <laughs> just imagine the translator. No, I didn't really care for those. That's... Do you wonder what the countdown was to? Five, <laughs> three. Whoa! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Actually, that just reminds me as well. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, no, please. Um, I would love to hear more. I was, that I was, I was uh, reading about um, weird public speaking the other day. Yeah. And Jimmy Carter went and he did a talk in Japan. And he did a speech to an entire room of uh, non-English speakers. And so he had a Japanese translator with him. And the Japanese translator was just going along with it. And Carter opened on a joke. So he thought, oh, no, I've made the mistake here of opening on a joke because this is not going to go down well. It's probably not going to translate well. Tells the joke. <laughs> translation happens. Massive laugh. <laughs> and he was like, wow, okay, this is amazing. So afterwards, he went up to the translator and just said, that is incredible that you managed to do that. I thought that was not going to translate at all. How did you do it? And he said, oh, what I did was I just said to the audience, President Carter has just told a joke. Everyone must laugh. What a huge laugh. So good. 
All right, let me. I, it, it's been a while since I've done one of these. It, it takes me a little while to remember how to how to do it. Uh, but it's, it's good to practice on one that doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, my next one's with Armando Unici. Come on, that's yeah, a big deal. That's a big deal. I've got to be good for him. So, uh, <laughs> we are doing more. I, think, I don't know when we're going to put this one out, but just in case we're putting it out now, we're starting recording these on uh, the 3rd of October at the Les Square Theatre for the next uh, eight weeks after that. Uh, hopefully, uh, if we'll be filming them, if our Kickstarter, there's a Kickstarter going on at the moment. And they're also. I was looking nice. at my watch as if that's going <laughs> to. Oh, yeah, it's doing quite well. They're really good nights. I've been to a few. They're yeah, yeah. So no, it's, it's really good fun. Yeah. And, and you get to see the bits that get cut out, like that thing you said about Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. So, uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and my producer, Ben, loves me when I, when I back-reference stuff like that. <laughs> but I think that was done in such a way. Uh, do you know, uh, why do elephants have such low rates of cancer? You can answer this question. No idea, no. Cancer's not really a sort of funny fact area for us. <laughs> <laughs> kind of stick away from that. No. It's because uh, they have 20 TP53 genes uh, to the human's one, and that's like a smoke detector of cancer. They have a smoke detector? To well, it's like, a, you know, in fact, that's a, that's a sort of metaphor there. It's not, it's not, literally, <laughs> not literally a smoke detector. That wouldn't be that. Unless the elephants are smoking, it says... <laughs> yeah, forget my smoke. Of cancer, what am I doing? Uh, but, uh, that's, 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 that's how we stop that. That's apparently that, and the naked mole rat, rat was supposedly cancer-resistant, but... Uh, is it not anymore? But it's not. I've heard. I, I, I subsequently. Ah. So you can answer this one: Is sex with a ghost cheating? <laughs> okay. Well, um, I do know that Dan Aykroyd. Uh, he woke up one evening. That you've, this is Ghostbusters. This happens in Ghostbusters. No, no, no. Okay. This, is, this is so. Ghost, yeah. Ghostbusters uh, is actually Dan Aykroyd who wrote it. Yeah. Um, the reason it's a documentary is that what you're saying? Is that the, uh... He is obsessed with ghosts. He, yeah. he genuinely believes in ghosts, and he based uh, he based the story well, the, the, some of the characters on the work of Hans Holzer. Yeah. Hans Holzer is the most famous ghost hunter in the world who died a number of years ago. But I read an article with his daughter saying that despite being dead, he still hunts ghosts. <laughs> Because uh, she's now a ghost hunter and he goes along with her. So yeah. he's in the house. And he just looks in the mirror and goes, there's one! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, Dan Aykroyd, he, yeah. uh, he one night, he says that he woke up in bed and laying next to him was a male ghost. Right. And he thought I could be hostile here and run away or try and scare it away. But instead, he, he, was, he played Big Spoon and he snuggled the ghost. Yeah. And they snuggled all, li- no, sorry, all night long. Yeah. So it's not sex, but snuggling, I think, is okay yeah. with a ghost. Yeah. Could it just have been a man that had gone into his bed? Because I, I would have thought if you snuggle with a ghost, it's just going to, you know, fall through, aren't you? Yeah, that's true. When you've got, you sort of got to, you all could do it all night. You just have to <laughs> hold, hold that. <laughs> That um, feels like a good sort of uh, yoga video. Yeah. Where it's like, <laughs> now you're snuggling a ghost. <laughs> Hold for eight hours solid. <laughs> and you did a documentary, was it a documentary about UFO and the people who, who searched yes. for UFOs? Yeah, I, I made a documentary for Channel 4 where I went round in a very Louis Theroux-esque way. Yeah. In fact, so Louis Theroux-esque that the channel asked me if I could lose my glasses. Okay. Um, genuinely, they said, could you lose the glasses? And then they also said... Um, I think our viewers are going to be a bit confused about your accent. Do you mind doing it in a British accent? <laughs> <laughs> and I said no, because there's a weird idea of me fronting a non-fiction 
factual documentary yeah. going, hello, I'm Dan. Like, it just, <laughs> I can't even do the accent. But um, So I went around Britain because most people, I think, associate UFOs with uh, America largely and other bits of the world. Japan Area 51, isn't it? Area 51 and so on. Yeah. That's one in there. But Britain has a huge uh, history of sightings and very seminal sightings as mm-hmm. well. And I, I found out that I lived in the apartment which was just up the road from where the famous alien autopsy happened, oh, which right. was in Camden. Um, in fact, right next to where Amy Winehouse uh, passed away. So right. just down the road is where uh, the original alien autopsy video came out from in, I think it was the 50s, um, but shown in the 90s. But yeah, so I just went around the country meeting people who genuinely believe that either they've been abducted or that we are being visited and to see where the state of play is with UFOs these days. So I don't believe in... UFOs that were being visited. I think, in a, and you probably do as well, I imagine, and most people, that there must be life out in the universe. It's just not necessarily visiting us. And um, so my whole thing was I just wanted to hear the theories because there are so many incredible theories that have been built. That's what I love about conspiracy theories. It's, it's not as if, it's like what I was saying before, like people love writers to create one thing. If you're an author, you create the one thing. But with conspiracy theories, you set it up and the whole world contributes. And yeah. They find the plot holes and they glue it up and they make more sense and they find connections here and here. And so I wanted to just see how, how well it had got. And yeah. my favorite one was crop circles um, famously uh, got shown to be false because two guys, Doug and Dave, had been making crop circles and could show that these were the crop circles they made. So I thought that was a dead theory. And I said to this one conspiracy theorist, oh, that must have sucked for you guys when it was proved that that was false. And he was like, no, 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 no. It's still going on. And what he said was, the, the, what happens is, it is being made by people trying to prank people, saying that this is a crop circle. Yeah. But actually, it's the aliens who are pranking the crop circle makers, tricking them into making it. And then once they make it, it actually acts like a stargate. A UFO comes out of it and flies off. Mm-hmm. And then the crop circle makers are so ashamed of what they've done and their new secret, they tell no one. So that's the latest theory of that. That makes sense. Yeah. And J- James on the podcast told me as well that the, um, the federation uh, head of the chess federation, International Chess Federation, the head, he believes in UFOs and he believes that aliens gave us chess. So he says that they've given us and they want us to keep playing chess, otherwise they'll destroy us. Um, and if, if aliens had made it beyond be three dimensions, that's it. There would be, there'd be another board on top oh, of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's on Star Trek. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a famous scene. But they, they said they also gave us... Sweet and coffee. all the pieces would be holograms that just move along like that and then they actually fight each other if aliens had made chess. So they've, they're just crap aliens, basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they said they gave us sweet corn as well. So right. these are two things. Uh, chess and sweet corn. <laughs> That's <laughs> which nice. I really like, yeah. Because you probably know, you know, if you don't like chess, you probably like sweet corn. Yeah. Everyone likes sweet corn. Everyone loves sweet corn. Yeah. Do you do you believe in aliens? Um, I, do, I don't. I mean, I love. I used to love this stuff. I used, I used to love. That's why I like Rasputin and Nostradamus and all that sort of thing. I love that kind of supernatural stuff and ghosts and uh, and having sex with puppets. Uh, but that's very supernatural. Uh, but um, uh, I, you know, I'd love to think it was true. But I also don't see why. You know, I don't. It also, it'd be terrifying if it was if aliens visited us. I think I can't. I can't really think aliens would go. Oh, let's go and live amongst them and pretend to be them and dress up as yeah. And hide our lizard features and become queens and presidents. Yes. Uh, I don't. I can't see that happening. And I can't really see why you would want to live amongst us. I think you could observe us from afar. Yeah. And I think you know if you, it must be incredibly dangerous for, for the reasons you're talking about going back in time. Mm. If you're going back in time and taking a poo, if you've come from. 
across the universe and come to a new planet, you're going to kill people or be killed by each other's germs. Yeah, right? totally. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not something I think that UFOs... You know, there's no reason they couldn't be true, but, yeah. uh, but also the, the vast... I think, I think those sort of vast distances of space make it unlikely. Make it way unlikely. Yeah. But we do pick up... So there's always that exciting thing where they say they've picked up a signal from yeah. space... Um, and there's a few of those going on at the moment yeah. where they're saying, what was that little blip? Yeah. Um, there, was, there was a really, uh, I really like this from ages ago. Uh, last year, they just found out what one of these noises were that they were looking for. And it had been going on since, I think, the mid-90s. They were in Australia, Parks Observatory, were picking up a microwave signal. And they were just like, where is, we, we can't spot it, we don't know what it is. It keeps happening occasionally. And so they kept trying to find it. And it was last year that they finally found out what it was. And it was a signal coming from the kitchen, literally the microwave <laughs> in the kitchen. And, for, and that's, that's why it's such a confusing thing for a lot yeah. of people, because all these noises are coming from space, but they're also terrestrial as well, so you don't know where they are. But they, they keep getting us excited by saying, yeah. finally, we found it, life. And so did you find any of the ones you saw in the documentary, would they make you think, oh, maybe that one is true? Or no, 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 it's more just about collecting. You know, it's just for that moment when you're having a chat with someone and they say, well, of course, you know, Jesus was an alien. And you say, what? <laughs> and then you look into that theory or they say that... Um, my favorite one was I was talking to a genetically modified super soldier and he... <laughs> He, uh, he, the idea of genetically modified super soldiers is that they've been implanted by the government to be the super soldiers who defend Earth from aliens right. coming in. And he was saying to me that every symbol that you see out on the streets is influencing you, hypnotizing you in some way. So the McDonald's M is actually making you be a sort of a sheep to the, to the higher lizards who are running the planet yeah. and the Nike symbol and so on. It reprograms you every time you see it. And so I was like, well, McDonald's, we know the history of McDonald's. Like, obviously, it was started by Ray Kroc, and then it was built in this thing. And he was like, yep, he was a lizard too. And I'm like, He's, what, Ray Kroc was a lizard? And he was like, uh, Ray Crocodile? Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite moment yeah. on the... Uh, on the documentary. Because, yeah. you know, they've travelled across space, but they, when they're, what's your name? Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, I'm a crocodile. Oh. <laughs> Damn, that almost gave it away. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's it was... also one of the biggest, um, most famous sightings of a UFO that we've ever had, where, you know, civilians have said that definitely was a UFO. Yeah. Um, rarely gets talked about because it happened in Brazil in a town called Vagina. And <laughs> I think most people are too embarrassed in serious conversation to that's, say, that's what, what about the, the vagina incident? That's what, that's what aliens would do, though, wouldn't they? Yeah. Well, that I was, was a stag do. That... <laughs> I was driving, but, but you know, you can see why. I was driving home from uh, Cheltenham last night, and I was very tired. I had about three hours sleep, and I'd been very tired on the way there and very tired on the way back. And I was like, just convinced as I was driving along, I thought, I thought a plane or something had exploded in my peripheral vision. I saw this big flash of light and then this streak. And then I was driving along, and I was kept on looking around to see the explosion or whatever, and then there was nothing there at all. So you feel like you've seen something, oh. but, you know, tiredness or that might have been a light, you know, I might just have passed a street lamp or something, but it was yeah. completely dark around, and it felt, it felt like it was right up in the sky. Right. But all these things, you know, like, we, we're slaves to our own perception, aren't we? And so, like, like you say, those, all the things we're talking about, dreaming something and then thinking, was that true? Mm. Uh, that's where a lot of ghost stories actually come from, isn't it? It's, it's in that moment between... 
uh, waking up or, or falling yeah. asleep where, where something seems real and, is, and, and, and real enough to feel real. And, and so, also, I think there's a lot of people say, people who are looking into UFOs and secret documents and JFK and all that, it's a useless pursuit. But I actually think it's really useful having people looking at the world differently. I get, I get a bit worried that we're crushing that out with skepticism, yeah. that, we're, that we're killing it. Um, there's a Polish uh, ghost hunter, the only officially registered Polish ghost hunter. A few years ago, he said um, that due to the rise in skepticism, ghosts are saying that they are now going to stop haunting us. Um, <laughs> they, they, basically, they basically hinted to him that if we were going to have that attitude, yeah. we're not going to bother you anymore. So <laughs> Yeah, petulant ghosts. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be scared by us. Yeah. We're not going to come. Well, why are we even trying? Why, do do? why don't you try and be a bit more scary and <laughs> yeah. turn up a bit more often? No, we're going to go away. Yeah, <laughs> completely. But so that's that. I I do think it's it's a shame because there are so many things that if you start with a crazy idea or what what is said to be a crazy idea, sometimes it leads to a different truth. And I, I was reading about the guy who discovered the polar shift. I think his name was Charles Hapgood. I think that's right. Um, so the idea of the shifting poles, mm. that was down to him. Now, the reason he was looking for that is because he wasn't actually trying to find anything that had proper legitimacy, but he was obsessed with the idea of Atlantis. He'd read that it disappeared in a day and a night, and he thought, how can something disappear in a day and a night? And he started looking into it, and then that led to actual science. And yeah. So I kind of think these, these mad ideas do sometimes lead you where you weren't trying to get to. So, I get, yeah, I get worried about skepticism, knocking all that stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. You know the, uh, the uh, tinfoil hats uh, yes. that conspiracy theorists wear? So there was a study at MIT not too long ago where uh, they looked into it to see if it was the case that they could actually block out governments from taking any information. And obviously you can't take information from the brain, at least I don't know if you can. <laughs> um, but what the MIT people worked out is that, if anything, the tinfoil hat actually amplified the signal. <laughs> so if anyone in a crowd was going to get their mind read, it's that guy trying to stop it. So just tiny things like that. They get beaten down all the time, yeah. the conspiracy people. But well, I do like there's a guy in there who always sits in Pret Manger in, um, in uh, Leicester Square where we go for before the Leicester Square podcast, and he's got a little, uh, he's got a pyramid that he wears. Oh, Have you seen yes. that guy? I've seen that guy, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I wrote about him, in, you know, and not taking the piss, but I wrote about him in, in, one, in a Metro column about what people would be allowed to believe, what they wanted to believe. And, he, and then he, I saw him commenting on it somewhere. Right. So he was saying, I don't quite think, I, you know, I'd looked him up and said what I thought he was trying to say, but he said, no, that isn't quite what I'm saying. Yeah. But, you know, he's, that's his belief. And it's no more crazy than walking around with a cross or, yeah. you know, the, or whatever that you would. And he goes to Pret, and that's a bit you never see yeah, in documentaries. Exactly. Like, he's always in Pret. I mean, I'm always in Pret as yeah. well. So he probably goes, that guy's always in Pret. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but that, in, in, in all the documentaries, and they are great documentaries, you know, the, the Louis Theroux's and the John Ronson's. And, and I was hoping that the one that I did, we could kind of work in this side that I really wanted but it, it you know the channel kind of forced it into just being a straight dog right. I wanted to show that you know these people do go to the pub and they do watch football matches yeah. and they do have a normal life it's just that at some point in a conversation they might say you know the moon was made it's artificial and that's that's the difference it's the normal people just with one slightly different idea mm. and then in a documentary they're made to look crazy but they're not often slightly pseudo racist though aren't they the, the, they the, the do list, not like Jewish people <laughs> I have not met a single conspiracy theorist who likes uh, a Jewish person right. particularly 9-11 believers it's, yeah. it's very scary I walked into a conspiracy meeting uh, and as I walked in I realised oh no they're going to they're going to pick me up on, on my Jewishness so th- I, I thought okay it's going to be okay because A 
I'm not actually Jewish. So <laughs> that, but I, I do, because it's hard to defend, because if, uh, so people listening at home uh, can't see, but all my friends, even my Jewish friends, assume I'm Jewish before even asking me. And my name is Daniel Schreiber. I'm like, yeah. it's properly uh, a thing. And I, I used to go, in fact, to, my friends used to invite me to Yom Kippur under the assumption that I was Jewish and I'd be outed during the dinner when they'd say, you know, what, where does your uh, family go to temple? I'd say, no, no, I, I'm not actually Jewish. And, uh, and so, but that was never awkward because they'd be like, oh, great, have you thought of being one? You, you're perfect for a living. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did walk into a few meetings where yeah. that was the opening question, are you Jewish? Yeah. And I'd be like, God, what would you say to that? It's a terrifying question. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I sometimes think, because you sometimes hear comedians or people generally saying that, you know, uh, they'll say something about being Jewish, and it seems with the younger generation a bit sort of like, oh, it's more about the older generation that, you know, we're living in cooler times amongst the younger people. But really, there's a lot of hate. There's so much yeah, hate yeah. going on. You just don't see it if you're not a part of it. No. It's really scary. Well, yeah, I mean, things are shifting in all sorts of ways, aren't they? This, uh, this, this year, uh, with, with uh, lots of, you know, I mean, what's going on in America is, again, it's, that's not about uh, aliens, but those people are equally as deluded as yeah. about, about what they're believing in. Yeah. You see all these interviews with these people and, you know, the clever arch satirists taking the piss out of them, but they're basically all strongly, you know, they believe because I think this, it's true, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and with the heavy tint of racism or sexism or whatever ism is, makes them feel better about themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's hard to talk someone out of a belief. It's, yeah. so, it's so hard to try and apply logic because you're trying to apply your belief yeah. logic to it. So the fact that you can't see their side, it, that's where it kind of... Well, yeah, but that's it. But everything's polarising. Even in proper politics, people are all just going, well, like, this is what I think and I'm right and we're not going to compromise on this and yeah. this is the way it's going to be. It's sort of slightly terrifying. I do. I love conspiracy theories, though, but they are obviously going to destroy the world. So do you believe in ghosts, then? Um, no. Oh, OK. I don't really believe in anything. I love it all. I think it's fascinating. I think it's the same as you. I think it's fascinating. and I'd love it if it was true. I'd love, you know, I'd love it if uh, ghosts are real. I'd love it if Jeremy Corbyn could become Prime Minister. But mm. they're all yeah, yeah. fantasies. From, yeah. <laughs> made up by lunatics who can't see. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's... Yeah, it would be lovely if the world... But the world, you know, the world is actually... We're all trying to make the world a bit more of a comfortable place to be because it's actually the truth is so terrifying... Uh, that if you genuinely thought about it, I don't think you'd be able to live your life properly. So we all sugarcoat the world in some way, in the existence in some way, yeah. to make it seem more palatable to us. And we make our own truths. And, you know, like, there's no morality, really, is there? Morality's a, a construct, and, and all civilizations are construct. We all go along with it. Uh, money's a construct. We all go along with that. And it, it would only take someone to go, no, I don't believe that I'm not going to accept this. And yeah. everyone go, oh, I'm not going to accept it. It's not real. Yeah. So those, these, those things aren't real, but we accept them. Uh, and they make the world work better, and they mean that we uh, don't go fuck all the time because life would be too. <laughs> it's life's fucking terrifying. There is no, you know, the probable truth is there's no reason for us being here. Uh, any moment we could just be collide with an asteroid or yeah. or in, a vote in a man who's going to set all the nuclear missiles off onto everyone. Uh, so uh, you know, it's, you just have to sort of believe in something, don't you? You have to be. Oh, it'll probably be all right. Yeah. 
probably all right. That's what after the, after the European thing, like because I was saying I was upset about it, people going, yeah, no, it'd probably be all right though. Yeah, yeah, but it might not be all right. No, it probably will be. Right. Probably, be probably okay. I love the idea of you just <laughs> lapsing from having a belief and just having that fuck moment. <laughs> just like I'll be passing a pret and just yeah. hearing herring on the inside. <laughs> then, I think when you wake up, sometimes you wake up and then, and this used to happen when I was drinking a bit more and when, you know, when I was lonely, but you'd wake up in the middle of the night and just be like full, full of dread, you know, that kind of night terror dread. Yeah. Uh, and just like oh my god and you couldn't quite put your finger on it but you just felt everything was terrible and the world's an awful place I think that's the the one moment that you actually get reality and the rest of the time <laughs> <laughs> we should be like that because ah! it's, pre- it's nuts isn't it I mean, the, the your neighbours are <laughs> fucking hairy. it's going to be fine mate yeah. <laughs> it'll be alright you know, it will be alright and then it won't be alright the universe is you know is such an, an unimaginable you know when you try to even comprehend what the universe is, that's, mm. that's a mind fucking itself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we can't. And we're not made to, are we? No. We're little monkeys made to run around and scavenge food. And... Yeah. I tend to latch on just to the idea, like, wow, how is this, how is this here? Why are we here? Let's yeah. just, let's, okay, cool. I got the chance to play the game. Let's, yeah. let's... Uh, it's for no reason. Let's have a fun Who knows? But like, so like, you know, SETI, SETI who yeah. look for aliens, they probably know that they're not going to ever find aliens within their lifetime who knows if they're out there who knows if they've been sending signals within the time that we've been able to accept signals who knows but what they keep at SETI permanently on ice is a bowl of champagne for that moment when they get contact they know that that's going to sit there permanently (laughs) but that's what I like I like the bowl of champagne sort of ready to be popped um that's that's what I think about when I wake up at night. <laughs> I, just go, oh, I hope champagne. it's me who discovers it. Yeah. <laughs> to drink some of this. Oh, this is disgusting. I've been here for hundreds of years. Uh, okay, I think uh, we've got a little countdown clock here that makes it very exciting from our point of view. Like because it's exactly like the kind of thing that's on a bomb in a James Bond <laughs> and it's been working its way downwards. And uh, I'm a bit scared about it getting to naught. Yeah. Uh, also, I have to. I'm supposed to be bathing my daughter today. Uh, she goes to her bath about 6.30. Okay. Uh, and uh, I reckon I can probably get home and do that if I... If I uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and then thanks I won't for be, having me, Rich. Then I, won't be, uh, <laughs> then I won't be in trouble with my wife, uh, who came on Pointless with me. It's very nice of her to do that. She doesn't like... She hates quizzes. She hates Pointless. She doesn't like me very much. And uh, it, was, it was a very nice thing to try and make my dream come true winning a pointless trophy but I can't tell you if I did it or not oh. uh, it's got actually turned, did that change a different colour that's a new colour yeah, it's into, actually gone yeah. to a different it's come under 10 just past 10 minutes and it went orange it's now 9.49 that we've got until this whole place goes up and I'm conscious of you know it's going to take these people five minutes to get out of the room so uh, <laughs> it's just if the whole of... room just t- turns into fire uh, you know and that, <laughs> I wouldn't like to be responsible even with, I mean many of these people their lives are not really worth anything. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. I still would... Uh, I'm in the Dan here. It's, I think we need to wrap this up. <laughs> Poor Richard, he's suddenly... You're overtired. <laughs> is this, by the way, is this yeah. when you send this in to commissioners to ask for a TV show? Yeah. They're like, well, yeah, it's good. We're not sure about just chatting about the fucking clock of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good format point. It's yeah. not Parkinson, <laughs> but... If it was on TV, that clock would be up there. Oh yeah, yeah. And then there would be, we'd have the jeopardy. There would be some guy with well, a plunger. 
or would have seen the guy making. You know, I can think in TV too. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can make it television. Uh, it's been really lovely to talk to you. Yeah, you and uh, hopefully, we'll get you on one of the proper ones as well at some point. This, this doesn't count, does it? The guy. This, this, I don't know. Podcast, podcast, show up, yeah. well, what is this? <laughs> the hell is this? We said that backstage. The woman was really upset. <laughs> 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 I just meant, you know, in the Leicester Square Theatre. So, um, thank you very much to the Podcast Festival for having us here. It's really good. And, uh, you know, if you do podcasts, one bloke got a TV show out of it where they just filmed it and put it on TV. Uh, So, um, it's the future. Uh, Thank you so much for coming in. Ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause. Thank you. He's here. Thank you. been listening to Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast, except at King's Place at the Podcast Festival, with me, Rich Herring, and my guest, Dan Schreiber. Thank you to Pest, who come in every week to play this music. It's very nice of them. Thank you also to everyone at King's Place. Thanks for having us at your podcast festival. Sorry, we were rude to you during the podcast, and before and after, but we got a free cup, so, you know. That's not all bad, is it? It was produced by Ben Walker. It's a fuzz production. They can have this one. Just on their own. The others of us aren't interested. Uh, hope you've enjoyed this. We'll be back very soon with the brand new 10th series of the Leicester Square Theatre podcast proper. Go to LeicesterSquareTheatre.com. You can buy tickets for all the dates there and also for As It Occurs To Me, which is back October the 16th is the next one. I'm on tour with the best. Check out RichTang.com slash gigs. All right, mate. <laughs>